we starting a series as a church? Uh, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. At the beginning of the year, I wanted to do this series um, because I think it's so important, but God kind of held it back, held it back uh, until this moment. So we're going to be doing seven weeks of this. So even if you don't like the first session, please come back uh, because it is incredibly, incredibly invaluable. Um, as a church... Just to throw out a vision statement of, of where we're going, because we are in transition at the moment. Pastor Craig is stepping down into another ministry, and I'll be taking lead, lead role. And really on my heart, I've just been feeling this, this phrase, um, covenant life exists to develop followers of Jesus. We exist to develop followers of Jesus. That holisticness of what it means to be a Christ follower. How can we as a church equip one another to walk together in community to see his kingdom come? Because Jesus had a couple of things that he did. He didn't only just heal, deliver, transform, but he, um, he brought about who the Father was and he saw his kingdom come on this earth. And so we want to bring about that as a mandate upon what we are. But as a church, we need to understand that so often we have concentrated on the spiritualness of our walks, but not the emotional side of who we are growing up, really. Um, it's, I love um, Pete Scazzera's book. So if you want to order, if you're a keen reader, Pete Scazzera's book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this is what it's based on, an amazing writer. And really, this is going to transform the church of America because, boy, do we need this teaching. We so need this teaching. I love his, his opening phrase, really, his whole premise of what the book is. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I'll say this again. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And it's a phrase I've, I've said before, um, but it's something that we are going to concentrate through these seven weeks. See, we are made up not just only of a spiritual side, a social, intellectual, spiritual, physical, emotional. We are a whole pie. And if we just go to the next slide there, Tyler. We are made up of so much more than just spiritual and intellectual. And really as a church growing up, that was the main drive, right? Our spirituality and our intellectual. If you have those components right, you're good to go. You're good to go as a Christian if you know the Bible, know Jesus, have theology, spiritual, have an experience with him, but yet we miss the other parts of what it is to be a whole follower of Jesus. Pete Scazzera says this in his book, with one breath, God made us human. Yet somehow today we slice out the emotional portion of who we are, deeming it suspect, irrelevant, or secondary importance. Contemporary discipleship models often esteem the spiritual more than the physical. Emotional, social, and intellectual components of who we are. Nowhere, however, does it a good biblical theology support such division. I don't know about you growing up, but most of the time it was always whatever my emotions were feeling inside, just pray harder, read your Bible. And you'll overcome it. Just battle through it. I don't know if that's been your experience, but that was, that was what we were told. You, how's your spiritual walk? It's obviously not strong enough because you've got all these problems going on. Or when the anger inside of us would rage up, 
we would blame it on the devil, say, the devil's attacking me today. He's got my number. And we would blame it on other things rather than what God was trying to do within us. In fact, kind of Plato even had this kind of uh, early thoughts. The body is bad and the spirit is good. Instantly, we're compartmentalizing who we are. The body is bad. The spirit is good. Don't trust anything of who you are. Just concentrate on your spirituality. And so we've compartmentalized what we are. This other quote from Dan uh, Ellender in The Cry of the Soul. I love this quote. It says, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into a reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we turn a deaf ear. Through emotions, denial, distortion of disengagement, we strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of the inner world. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our conscious. We are neglecting our intense emotions and we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that the change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for what journey that you have for us this morning. Lord, this is a sensitive matter within us because you yearn for us to know fully who we are, the dark and the good. And Lord, we can only embrace that. And we know that you are a good father, that you take us by your hand into the darkness, that you still love us and you always have loved us. May as we just go into this subject, know that you have always loved us. You always will love us. And you love us so much that you can't keep us the same. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just open our eyes, ears, hearts, minds to what you have to say this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So, just in case you didn't think you were emotionally unhealthy, just in case you thought that you've got it together, we're just going to go through 10 quick points of things that Pete Scazzera really pulls out in his book. And so the first one here is using God to run from God. Now what do I mean by that? Creating a great deal of activity to run from God. So we do good works that satisfy me, but not God. How many of you have got into that habit before? You know, I'm doing good things for the kingdom. I'm, I'm doing lots of activity. I'm praying a lot. I'm just talking to God constantly, right? I'm just, every morning, I'm just talking, talking, reading, reading, dividing the, the theology of who God is. These are all good things, but it satisfies me and maybe not God. Doing things in God's name, he never asked me to do. We focus on certain theological points out of concern for my fears and unresolved emotional issues. Right? How many of you have met that have used theology to try and justify the way that they act and be? America has a full, the whole world has a full history of using uh, teachings of Jesus to justify 
how they act and feel. We do it all the time. And we hide behind another one. We hide behind God talk to deflect the spotlight from our inner cracks. And met those people, myself as well. If, if I, I don't want to show who I am, but I want to show how spiritual I am. So I'm going to tell you how much I know, right? How much that I know about God. I'm just going to talk about who God is, and I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm just going to talk about all the things that I know and, and sound real spiritual and not get into the cracks of who I am. So using God to run from God. Second one, ignore anger, sadness, and fear. A lot we've been taught in the church, and again, I, I've totally bought into this idea, emotions are never to be trusted. See, we throw the scripture as, do not be anxious, do not fear. So we throw that scripture out, but what we don't handle it is, we don't handle it in the correct way. Instead, we inflate ourselves up. So we ignore the, the, the pain, the fears, and the anxieties, and we just say, God is bigger than my situation. Just push, push, push it down. Just ignore it. And so we quote scripture and we just keep on putting a band-aid on the anxiety and the fear that we feel. Dying to the wrong things, number three. Another passage that we love to quote is, take up your cross and follow me. And so we end up dying to everything. Have you ever met those miserable Christians? Those Christians that die to everything, their happiness, actually to who they are. They actually take the whole dive. Me being Jesus is denying everything about me. And when Jesus does not say that, he made you unique with an expression. And so we're not to die to all things. There are good things within you that God has created that he wants to pull forth out of you. Don't let your happiness die. Because often, especially, and this is a cultural thing from the UK, we celebrate the idea of, well, if the world's going badly, then that's a good thing. If you are suffering for Christ, you're doing the Christian walk right. If you live in poverty, that's what Christ has called you to. And there may be seasons of all those kind of things, but it's not the place that God has called us to. He lives us in a holistic world. So dying to the wrong things. Number four, denying the impact of the past. Another scripture that we love to quote, I have been made new, right? All things, I've been made new in Christ Jesus. But yet we forget we forget and don't understand that our past continues to influence who we are. And so we justify that, well, if I'm saved, my past is my past and I've been set free from it. But yet you still hold by the tears and by the ropes that pull you back to your past. The generational curses and things that fall through. Why do I keep acting like my father? Why do I see my granddad or my mother or my grandmother constantly coming back? I'm a new creation. Why does this keep pulling me back? And so often we try and hold on to the scripture new things when God says, I want to transform your past. Don't let the past be the past. Accept it, understand it, transform it. And I know I'm, I'm going through some big subjects right here. We could spend hours on each of one of these, but just a quick thing. People that deny the past and just say, you know what, the past is the past. I'm the present, I'm a new creation. They deny their past. 
Dividing life into secular and sacred, Frank believes that Monday to Saturday is work, Sunday is where it's God's day. We know these people well. I've got God's day and I've got the rest of the week. It's, 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 it's my week. It's how I want to live. And a ton of Christians live in that space. We've got Jane who yells at her husband because he is not being a spiritual mentor for the house. And she yells at him and says, you need to be more. And she comes to God saying, I have been victorious for you. I have been loving for you. Met those people before? Dividing sacred and secular right there. God is love in everything. And so he walks away crushed. Bob, who does daily devotions every single morning, but then doesn't think about God for the rest of the day. Does his devotion. Yeah, I do my devotions. I pray every single morning. But then they don't forget. They forget about God for the rest of the day. It doesn't come in. Judith, who cries during the songs, the love and grace of how good God is but regularly complains and blames others for the difficulties in her life. How true is that for us? That we can sing that God is a good and victorious God, be it during our weeks. And we're all guilty of this. I find myself in all of these, right? There is no condemnation in any of this. Another one, spiritualizing, oh sorry, doing God instead of being with God. 100% me right there. I do instead of be with God. I'm really learning over this year to just position myself in resting in who God is. Not when I wake up in the morning, I say, good morning, Father. And I just lay there before him. I want my identity to be in in the sonship of who God says that I am. Rather than my doings, so being rather than doing for God. Spiritualizing away conflict. No one likes conflict. Very few like conflict. We believe we are to be peacemakers, uh, show love and grace, you know, sweep the issue under the rug. But it just keeps, and just keep everyone happy. But instead, what happens is we end up back talking about one another, saying things behind people's backs. So we can live in this realm of just spiritualizing away conflicts. Covering over brokenness and weakness. The pressure to look good, to be strong all the time. Keep your face always towards. I love this quote I read in Facebook the other day. And it's a well-meaning quote, but I think this this is what we're talking about in the church. Keep your face always towards the sunshine and your shadows will just fall behind you. It's a nice quote, right? Keep your face towards the sunshine. And your shadows will just fall behind. It's the idea of being, if I'm just positive all the time, those cracks, that fire that's burning, my house that's on fire right now, I'm just going to keep looking to the sunshine. (laughs) Everything's going to be fine. Just be positive. It's fine. There's this Facebook video I saw of this kid on a swing while a blazing fire was right behind him. And I love that. It was like such an imagery of how we do it because... We just want to cover over our conflicts. This is another kicker. Living without limits. Again, guilty of this one. Uh, I was chatting to, me and Charlie were chatting. Charlie was like, you know what? I'm 68 now. I'm not a teenager anymore. And yet he still tries to do things more and more around here. And the next day he pays for it. You know, we're all in that situation where I'm like, you wake up in the morning. As we get older, the aches and the pains kick. I'm not quite as young as I used to be. God gives us limits 
so that we can find him and be strong in him. Yearn to co-labor with one another. So living without limits is another one. Judging other people's spiritual journey. So if you've been listening to these uh, points that I'm talking about and you have thought about someone else the entire time, this is you. (laughs) Right? We are always doing that, judging and comparing other people. So you all fall into this amazing arena. And so what happens in our stages, and there's just this pie chart, I just want to show up here, or this flow chart, um, life-changing awareness. So we as Christians find God, most amazing revelation of his love, and we encounter him. We then decide to learn more about him, get involved. But how many of you have hit the wall over and over again in your spiritual walk? You just hit this wall where God feels distant, where you just can't seem to break through and over and over again. And so what we're talking about today is this inward journey. Notice when you, go for the, when you break through the wall is when you go beneath the surface. And so our first kind of part in this series is looking beneath the surface. This is our first of the seven. Look beneath the surface. And John Calvin puts this. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But these are connected together by many ties, and it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. We don't know which one's first, the chicken or the egg. Is it us knowing who we are? Because when we know ourselves, we find who God is. But when we know God, we find who we are. It's this wonderful interchange. This other quote here from St. Teresa of Avila says, Almost all problems in spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Lack of self-knowledge. I know there are plenty of self-unaware people that I meet. (laughs) And you're like, seriously? You act like that? You don't know that you're like that? And so I love this picture that Pete Scazzera puts in his book. And it's kind of his analogy that we see of an iceberg. He says that we, really the surface that you see here is only 10% above the surface is what everyone else sees. 10%. But there is this 90% of what you're mad about, you're sad about, anxious, and even what you're glad about that no one ever sees. And actually, many Christians never go beneath the surface. And really, this helps me understand so many Christians that I meet who pray, read their Bible, are good moral people, but they are angry and grumpy as heck. I just see them. I'm like, God, they, they cry out to you. They, I know that they love you with all their heart. And really, the honest thing is, is that they don't want the inward journey of the stuff that we have. And so if you turn with me in your Bibles, um, we're just going to go through quick three points for the remainder of our time together. And it's in Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse 36 to 39. Just a couple of verses we're going to be reading. And this is the context. Jesus is uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, He is about to go to the cross. The night of the betrayal is happening. It is all unraveling for Jesus. And so in uh, chapter 26 and verse 36, I'm just reading out of the ESV here. And it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell to his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, through his ministry, developed a strong understanding of his emotions. We would agree that God is emotional. The Heavenly Father has a full range of emotions. And we see that exemplified through Jesus as well. He got angry, got mad, wept for people, rejoiced with other people. Jesus expressed everything. Jesus was aware of his emotions. And we see it when he says, my soul is overwhelmed. He didn't repress that. He didn't quote a scripture against it. He didn't say, get behind me, Satan, right? He didn't say any of that. He just made people aware, my soul is breaking right now. I'm not doing good. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't repress it, nor did he project his feelings onto others. You know how we can do that sometimes? We can project our feelings onto other people, make people try and feel what we're feeling. He just, this is what I'm aware of. This is what's happening right now. Because too often, we don't listen to the emotions within us. And we just keep on going. We just keep on moving And I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, pain is the megaphone to a deaf world. Pain is a megaphone to a deaf world. We keep on going through things until it breaks us. Until it breaks us. And so my first point today is, what are you feeling? What am I feeling? Are you aware of your emotions? Are you aware of the anxieties and the pains that maybe you even feel now? Or when things stress you out, do you acknowledge that you are feeling angry, that you're feeling anxious, you're feeling sad, or do you just try and push it down? Do you just try and submerge it into the depths of the 90% of what you don't want to see? See, we all want to change our emotions, right? I wish, I wish I didn't get so angry. I wish I wasn't so sad. I wish this anxiety would just leave me. I so wish that it would just go. And so we throw up the, the prayers. God, just take away my sadness. Take away the pain. Take away the suffering. We're in a society of quick fix And I have nothing against medications or things like that. I mean, heck, when I've got a headache, I'm just going to run straight to something and it solves me straight away. That's just who I am. And I, I know we've got a spectrum of beliefs around all of this kind of stuff. So I'm not gunning for either side in this. But we have this tendency to want the quick fix. We don't want to sit in our emotions, right? Heaven forbid that we sit in a moment and, and rest in our emotions, We don't want to listen to what it has to say about our life. Learn about our emotions. But that's how we change. Acceptance is the transformation for change. 
If you can't accept that you have an emotional issue, you will never change. There is no amount of scripture reading, praying that will take it away because God wants you to change. Jesus didn't pray that prayer. You notice that he said, your will be done. Your will be done, God. Through this situation, I know that you've got something great on the other side. But I tell you what the key to all of this, of of knowing what I am feeling is. Jesus had quiet spaces. Jesus was not a man of hurry. He learned to slow down and be still before the Father. Over and over again, we see the great accomplishments of God. The next morning, he would go and rest and pray. And I bet he had such an amazing relationship that he was always self-aware of what was going on inside of him. In fact, we talk a lot about the desert place where Jesus went to. Straight after being baptized, affirmed by the Father, sent out into the desert place, the Aramis, the solitude. And so a lot of people, we kind of see that as a weakness or a place that kind of was like the hardest point of Jesus. But I believe that the desert place was the strengthening for Jesus to overcome the temptations that were about to come through. Do you have a quiet space? Notice that the Garden of Gethsemane where he cried out to his soul was where he got away from the madness. He got away from the city. He went into a quiet space and he became self-aware of what was going on inside of him. Jesus had a history of getting alone. Do you have that history of getting alone with God? He created space from the hurry to feel. Do you notice when your stomach starts to churn? Do you notice when you start to grip your hands or where you start to fold your arms, where your foot starts to tap? Are you aware of what your body is doing? Take time to pause. Take time to be aware. But also be proactive in searching out for your emotions. Psalm 139, 23, 24 says, Search me. This is David seeing here. God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. See, you cannot enter a world of another if you're not willing to enter into your own world, into your own mess. So often we want to help other people, but we're not willing to get into our own mess. We have this thought that everything inside of me, I know so much good stuff that I can't receive anything more in my life. I just want to give my opinion to everyone else. But because I think I know so much, I'm not willing to receive that. So, what am I feeling is the first one. Second point, asking the why. Jesus asked, knew the why behind the pain that he was suffering. Jesus knew that this cup that he was to take for all the suffering of the world, the separation, the abuse that he was about to receive, he had the why behind what he was feeling. A lot of people, even though they're aware of their anger, aware of their shame and sadness, they don't know the why behind it. And they just, again, keep pushing it down, just keep medicating, just keep putting a plaster, a band-aid over the problem. And they don't want to go beneath the surface and ask, why is this happening to me? Why do I feel such anxiety? Why do I always have to people please? Why do I always care so much about what other people think? 
I know for me, that's my biggest wrestling throughout. And I've talked about Enneagram and those kind of things. It was such a great awakening to who I am. That this is my shadow side to who I am. As a pastor, fully vulnerable. I love people, but people also lock me down. Because I just want to make sure that everyone accepts who I am so often. Right? I know a lot of us feel that way. We just want to be liked. We just want to be known. We just want to be accepted. But so much of that drives my anxiety, drives my fears. And so doing a lot of soul searching, a lot of God ministering to my identity because I'm asking the why questions. Why are we always in a hurry? Why are we so anxious? Why are we over-concerned about other people's thoughts? Why do we dread the morning meetings at work? Why do we dread work in general? Why do we need to return emails and phone calls so quickly? Why do we avoid confronting? Why do we feel this deep anger when people question your thoughts? Question what you believe. Why do we have this deep anger? And so my third and final point here, bring it before the Father. So we've got the the feeling. Be aware of your feelings. Make sure you ask the why questions. God, why am I feeling this way? And the, first, the third and final one is bring it before the Father. Because we can ask all these things, what am I feeling, ask the why, but then we can go into just kind of self-survival mode, right? Well, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to try and break apart and, and work this out. But bring it before the Father. Because I've got news for you. You are more broken than you even know. You are a mess. I'm a mess. And that 90% that is below there is some deep, dark secrets. But know this. The Father knows all of that and more that you don't even know about. And he has loved you and he always will love you. And it feels like so often that we are on the edge of a cliff and we have this tightrope that we have somehow got to navigate to the other side. But I want to tell you, there is a safety net below. Even though you fall off that rope when you're walking along and it's too much and you just collapse and break down. Know that the Father's love, the scripture is there for you. The truth is there for you. When you fall, he'll catch you. When you feel like you are overwhelmed by your emotions, he will catch you. Because you will be overwhelmed. For many of you that have done this walk for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. This endless walking the tightrope of seeing the fears and the failures. But when we get to the other side, when we get that breakthrough, and it's not a quick matrix download, give me more peace, thank you, Jesus. Like when we pray that prayer, God, just give me peace in the situation. He's like, no, I'm just going to leave you right there because I want you to develop something within the storm right now. I don't want to give you the quick fix because you will not learn the character and the depths of who I am. And what I have put inside of you to transform you. So what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? And bring it to the love of the Father. As Jesus did in his most painful moment where he is sweating blood. Where he is sweating and his soul is wretched. He cries out, not the Elohim or the Yahweh God, but he cries out, my Father. 
Know that when you are in the mess, that God sees the mess, the Father is there to reach out to you, hold you in his arms. You might not feel it. You might always not feel when, you, when, the, when the wretch inside of you, the stuff that's happening, it might not go away. But know that as you continue to position yourself in the Father, bring it to him over and over and over again. Go deep into who you are. I know that there is just a transformation that's to occur. So we're just going to spend just a minute just here in silence. Because I know that we have a 21st century hurry mode that you are already thinking about food. You're already thinking about what's the plans for today and that's, that's fine. But I just want you to create a space of silence just for you to be able to reflect. Hey God, how am I feeling right now? Holy Spirit, why am I feeling it? And just let God, give it to God. So just sense, just begin to reflect and let God speak to your soul right now. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just open up this time to receive from you, Holy Spirit. We know that you can do a more above and beyond than what we can ever do in a moment. And so, Lord, we just open our hearts to you simply and just ask for you, come speak to us, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus.